what works. It's been a little odd lately. Don't know why. Here we go. All right. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. We just finished eating dinner. I had a meeting until 6.30. Yeah, I was kind of busy too, so. Did you know we have pizza every Tuesday night in honor of you? Well, that's awesome. I know. You know, you know I have pizza every night in honor of me? <laughs> <laughs> no, just, we just have it on Tuesday night. Well, you should try it every night. It works. Yeah, I, I wish we had pizza every night. We actually did have pizza tonight. There you go. But it was leftover pizza, so. That still counts. It's, it's shameful that we didn't finish it the first night. That's where it is. Uh, well, you know, when oh. you order a giant size. Yeah, that's the problem. Getting too old to eat it all at once. And you don't have two, you don't have two girls to help you. There's exactly. Something about you saying you're too old to do something that I just have to laugh. Yeah. Well, you know. You think I'm old? Yeah. My parents. Yeah. Kevin, when you say old, make sure you put er at the end. You're old. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, it is uh, seven o'clock and people are still showing up, so that's good. And we are live on YouTube. So hello to the people in YouTube land. And some people watch both, which is a terrifying thought, which would be fun because it's delayed on YouTube a little bit. But welcome to everybody. Um, if you do have questions on YouTube, I think Peter tries to monitor that sometimes. So we'll try to catch those. If, if you type it in there, we'll try to get those and answer those. But if not, um, you can always ask us later and we'll try to give answers when we can. Um, tonight, we are going to dive into the middle of Galatians chapter three, um, which is actually, I was telling Robin this a little like during dinner. Um, this, is, this is one of the passages that New Testament scholars like to talk about a lot. So there's, there's just a lot going on here. Um, primarily because of the way that Paul constructs his argument um, and uses the Old Testament. So is the YouTube saved for later viewing? Peter? Yes, it is. Um, you, it's on the Crucial Productions um, website and YouTube page. So crucialproductions.org is, is the web page for uh, Crucial Productions, which is our little our meaning Peter and I. It's our little um, not-for-profit organization, which is an RSO, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And that's where you can find Bible classes and other fun teachings, podcasts, um, books of the Bible explained in five minutes, those kinds of things. So yeah, join us in crucialproductions.org. And Peter put the link in the chat so you can find that out. Very good. I, I put the YouTube link because the Bible studies don't show up on the website. They do stay on YouTube, though. They stay on YouTube. All right, so you cool. can do the Bible study playlist or the Galatians playlist. There's actually one for all of this series, too. See, we are so advanced, it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so we are going to dive into Galatians chapter 3. Like I said, um, a very important passage in Paul's theology. 
And as we know, since we've been reading Ephesians and Galatians, we kind of get Paul's whole thing. So this will help us continue to remember what's going on. But most importantly, what this passage does is it really highlights the importance of Christ. Um, not just for not just for certain people, but Christ for everybody, and how how the death and resurrection of Christ really is the salvation of the entire world, and um, kind of not kind of is is really the, the what unifies humanity, um, which is which is really just a, an important teaching um, in the New Testament and especially in Paul's theology. So we'll we'll dig into that a little bit tonight as we go through this, and um, yeah, that's that's our goal. So let's pray. And then if you have any questions, you'll be welcome to, to ask them and we'll, we'll get started. So let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, on this night, we rejoice. As we come together around your word once again, this Tuesday night, we are so thankful that you give to us your holy word, that you inspire us with your Holy Spirit to read that word, to mark it, to inwardly digest it, and to most of all, see Christ. And so we pray that that spirit would work in us wisdom, that as we read these words, we would do so according to your holy will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so any questions from last week or any other week that you've been wanting to ask? Okay. Seeing none, um, oh, let's wait go a ahead. Minute. I have a question. Oh, go ahead. Is that Susan? Oh, yes. Yeah. Is I. Um, doesn't Paul go through the same uh, tying in with Abraham and Romans? Yes. Yes. I so got in confused Ro on that. <laughs> in Romans four. So remember, in Romans four, very very similar to the to the argument of Galatians. So in in Romans chapter three. Paul lays out the basics of justification by grace through faith. Um, he does a little bit different than he does in Galatians, but, but same theology, that we are saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done. So Christ is the redemption for us, that, that God justifies us through faith in Jesus' work, and that's a gift of God. And then he goes on from there in chapter 3 to chapter 4, where he says, now this idea of salvation by grace through faith apart from the law is not a new teaching. It's not something Paul just made up. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way back to Abraham. So that's his move in Romans chapter four. He's going to say, now this theology that I'm teaching you is not new. I'm thinking I'm actually, yeah, this is number one in our question tonight, right? It's not new. This is actually goes back to Abraham. And in Romans chapter four, he also includes David. Okay. So he also quotes David in the Psalms. And he, so, so his argument there is, is this is the faith. This is the, the confession of God, the belief in God, the saving faith that the Old Testament patriarchs, which Abraham represents that group, and then also the Old Testament believers in, in the Davidic kingdom and the monarchy and the line of the Messiah, this is their faith, okay? And then in Romans chapter 5, he does one better, and he goes all the way back to Adam, okay? So he says, now, now, this idea of justification by grace through faith, it goes all the way back to Adam. Because remember, through the one man, Adam, death came to all men. But now Jesus is the new Adam. He's the second Adam. He's the one through whom 
life comes to all. So that's the flow in Romans. Does that make does that make sense, Susan? You remember that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so Galatians is going to be similar, but there's a twist. Okay. So a lot of people will say that when you read Galatians and Romans, you're kind of reading the same theology. Uh, Romans is a little bit longer, and Galatians is a little more compact. But you're kind of it's the same basic argument. But we're going to see in, in Galatians three, there's just a bit of a twist on it, and that's what we're going to kind of look at. Okay. Okay. Thank. Does that help? Yep. Good. Great. Very good. Good observation. Good memory. Very good. All right. So let's read Galatians three. Um, I say seven through nine, but if you wouldn't mind reading six through nine, actually. So Galatians three, six through nine, and I think Linda's going to read for us. Well, six is the latter part of five going going into it just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, question mark. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, thank you very much. So yeah, we included the the, the quote beforehand um, in six, just because it kind of ties his argument together. But yeah, I know it's got a question mark in the end, it kind of strange, but that's okay. We'll see how it all works together. Okay, so um, number one, and we, we did just kind of touch on this, but just to kind of get this into the sense of Galatians, is the gospel for the Gentiles a new idea? So that's what we've been talking about, is the inclusion of the Gentiles in the gospel, kind of going back to, to Galatians chapter 2, 15 and following. And so Paul's argument is that the Galatians are included in this gospel, that they're not excluded from it. And they don't have to become Jews in order to be included. They're simply included as they are through faith in Christ Jesus. And so the question is, is this gospel for the Gentiles, this teaching of Paul, is it a new idea? Okay. And obviously you guys know the answer because we should over it's no, but, but how is Paul making his argument here? Abraham, Abraham was knew it from scriptures, from God. God told Abraham. Good. And what did he tell Abraham? He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Uh, so the gospel in you shall all nations be blessed. Yeah, know. all nations. See, that's what Paul's picking up on here. So he's picking out these little phrases from the Old Testament. So now he's going to say in Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Okay, so he doesn't say that in Abraham only the Jews will be blessed, but he says all nations, okay? And in Greek, not that you guys care, but it's ta ethne, okay? The, the nations. Now, this is the same word then that's in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, right? Go therefore make disciples of all nations, Okay, same words, ta ethne, right? That's not good Greek handwriting, but ta ethne, um, all nations. And so what he's saying is 
through the patriarch Abraham, the promise originally was for all nations. Okay, this is the way God designed it from the get-go. Does that make sense? And and this is actually illustrated then kind of in the book of Genesis. You can see this in the person of Joseph. We, we kind of miss this sometimes. But remember, Joseph, he was, remember the story of Joseph? You, you've seen, they did a Broadway musical based on his name, but nothing to do with his life. It was really weird. But anyway, some Mormon guy was singing songs, I think. What about, what about right. the colorful coat? That's the there's there's no colorful coat in the Joseph story. That was made up for the Broadway musical. In in um in the Genesis narrative, it's a coat with long sleeves, which is which is way less musical and way less attractive to to Americans. It's like yeah, I got a long sleeve coat. You know, so that's why I don't write musicals. So um, it's the it's the coat with long sleeves, but it's a multicolor. That's a kind of color dream coat. You know, I mean, you can't you can't beat that. So, so anyway, Joseph is sold into slavery and he goes down to Egypt. And remember, what he does in Egypt is he actually rescues Egypt from the, um, from what's, what am I saying? Donnie Osmond. That's, that's the guy. You were in that musical? You're Donnie Osmond? Really, Peter? Um, <laughs> so he rescues Egypt from um, the the famine and and in this way actually egypt is blessed why because of joseph of joseph abraham's seed actually ends up blessing egypt right so this is a little bit of a foreshadowing how god's salvation through abraham actually goes to all the nations so it's up there all the nations okay so this is what paul's getting at is that when Paul goes and preaches this good news of God's salvation, it never was intended to be exclusively for the Jews. It was always intended to be a blessing to all the nations. And what we actually find out as you read the Old Testament is that Israel's job as the people of God was to be a blessing to the nations, primarily in telling them about the love of of God, the salvation of God, right? The promises of God, the goodness of God, that he is our creator and he loves us and he and he saves us. That's actually Israel's primary role in this world is to is to to tell people, to show people, to bring people into um, this love of God, the understanding of who God truly is, okay? So, so this is what Paul's going back to. He's saying, when I talk to Gentiles about this, this isn't new. This is the way it's supposed to be all along. Okay. Now, the next one, number two. So who are the children of Abraham? All who believe in Christ. And right. in Abraham's time, it was for the coming of Christ. And in our time, it said he did come. Exactly. Very good. Okay. So now he's going to make this crazy statement that the real children of Abraham are those who believe in Jesus. Okay. So that's actually going to be the argument at the end of Galatians 3, right? 
So Galatians 3, 28 and 29, he actually says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or slave or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, offspring, heirs according to promise. That's exactly right. So very good. Now, look how he does this. Look at what he's going to do here. He's going to do this by quoting Genesis in two places. And in, in verse 6, he quotes Genesis 15. In verse, and is it 8? Is it 8? Sorry. I think it's verse 8. Yeah. In verse 8, he's going to quote Genesis 12. Now, those are the two places in Genesis where Abraham is given the promise from Yahweh that God will bless the world through Abraham. So in the Genesis 15 quote, what he's going to do is going to say the promise to Abraham or that the blessing of Abraham is received by faith in the promise. That's why he quotes 15 because Genesis 15 gets us to faith in the promise, right? Okay. And Genesis 12 is the one who gets us to all nations. So what, he's, what Paul is doing here is he's joining these two things together in Abraham and saying all nations who have faith are the children of Abraham. Okay. So if you are somebody who belongs to the Jewish nation and you have faith in the promises of God that are kept in Jesus Christ, you are a true son of Abraham. If you are a Gentile and you have faith in the promises of, of Yahweh that are kept in Jesus Christ, then you are also a child of Abraham. It is not then by blood lineage, right? It's not by nationality. It's simply by faith in the promises, the same promises that Abraham received and believed, and those who believe receive the blessing of Abraham that is for all people. That is Paul's basic argument in this section of, of Galatians 3, okay? And we're going to move on now and see how this applies and how this is all fulfilled in Christ. Any questions? Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I have a question. Uh, so if you're not, if someone is not, does not have faith, then they are not an offspring? Right. That's right. They are not a true child of Abraham. Not a true child, but right. they're still a child? Well, they're, they're, they don't get the benefits of being a child. So the benefit of being a child is you get inheritance. Okay. And you get all the blessings that come from being a child of Abraham. If you are not in faith, then you don't receive those benefits. Even if you can trace your blood and lineage to Abraham, you don't get the benefits of being a child of Abraham because you're outside of faith. That's okay. So, but doesn't we had this question on Sunday? I think if you're if you're not a believer, don't you still get? Jesus's promise of being saved or not? Well, you you he died for all people, but it is faith that receives the gifts of that promise for the individual. So 
every single person on the earth is someone for whom Christ has died, but only those who believe in Christ receive the benefit of that work. Okay. Right? Yeah, I so, get that. So remember, we talk about the, the cross being for all people, everybody, believers, unbelievers alike. He died on the cross to forgive the sins of everybody. Now, faith is the way that that comes to little stick center, right? Okay, yes. Okay. I Does get it, yeah, I get it. Thank you. Okay. Yep, you're welcome. Good question. Very good. Anything else? Okay, now let's read Galatians 3, verses 14, 10 to 14. 10 to 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay. Like I said, there's a lot in there. Okay. And a lot of it is how is Paul quoting the Old Testament and why? Because he's going to smush together passages that don't ostensibly, like that doesn't look like they belong together, but he's going to make them fit together. And this is going to be the kind of the genius of the way Paul writes this. Um, there's a lot of technical stuff going on as far as rhetoric goes, but we're going to just ignore that for now. We're just going to concentrate on the way he moves us through this argument using the Old Testament, okay? So right away, just looking at your text in verses 10 through 14, the first Old Testament quotation is, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, okay? The next quotation is in verse 11 where it says, The righteous shall live by faith, right? Then the next quotation in verse 12, it says, the one who does them shall live by them. And then the next one is in verse 13, where it says, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. So it's those quotations and how, how Paul strings them together to get us to Christ is, is kind of the, the thrust of this argument that he's making. Okay. So the first thing we have to look at is, what things are presented in opposition? So just look at the first, really just the first two verses or three, yeah, first three verses really. Well, relying on works of the law. Mm -hmm. So we have works of the law. And that's contrasted with our I think it's in 12 really where he says it finally. Faith. Yeah. Faith. faith. Okay. So works of the law versus faith. Okay. So these these two things are going to be actually contrasted. Works of the law and faith. 
And Paul is going to help us understand that works of the law and faith are, are kind of not going to lead us to the same direction. As a matter of fact, works of the law are going to get us to be cursed where faith leads to life. Okay, so now, along with these two things, works of the law and faith, we have being, this is going to run into the wrong thing here. Get rid of I that. have a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, maybe I'm just not understanding this right, but aren't works of the law the same as doing good works? So wouldn't that be, and good works are the fruit of faith. So why would works of the law be cursed? Or right, good. Cursed? Good, because your premise is wrong. That's why. Um, works of the law at this point are not actually equated with good works. And, and that's kind of the point of this is that he's, he's setting this up as a contrast because when we do works of the law later in Galatians, especially in Galatians chapter five, it will be good works. But in this argument, he's actually using works of the law to talk about how do we see ourselves in relationship to God? Okay. So when I'm standing before God, if I'm, if I'm standing there based on works of the law, I'm going to get cursed. Okay. If I am standing before God based on faith, I will receive life. That's what he's saying. Okay. He's not talking about like absolute terms. He's talking about when I'm standing before God, if I'm standing before God based on works of the law, I actually end up in a cursed position because, and we'll get to this soon, because the works of the law, you have to do all of them or you get cursed. And then instead, if I stand before God in a position of faith, receiving from God what he promises and what he does, and I believe that I receive it through faith, the result of that is life. Okay. So I want to present my, I want to stand before God, not based on works of the law, but based on faith. And this also impacts then how we see others standing before God. Okay. Does that make sense? We, we will get to works of the law as good works, but that's in a couple chapters. That's in, the subsequent chapters. Kevin, at this point, can we assume that works of the law refer to the Ten Commandments at this point? No. That's a good question. What, what can we assume? <laughs> we can, yeah. Here's here's what you can assume. The and this is actually when I said scholars argue about this. This is the phrase they argue about. What does Paul mean when he says works of the law? Right. I mean, the, the, the words are easy. It's works of the law. That's exactly what it says in Greek. But what does that phrase refer to? Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it the whole book of Deuteronomy? Because he quotes Deuteronomy twice here. You know, what is it? And one of the things that gets observed quickly is that when Paul uses the phrase works of the law, he's usually talking about the things that identify us before God. So in, in, the, in the present argument between Jew and Gentile, these are going to explicitly refer to 
circumcision, food laws, and the Sabbath. Okay, so so okay, I, this is the only way I know to explain this. So just just buckle up, okay? It'll be okay. We're all friends. We'll get through this together. Grab a buddy, take a deep breath. This is the only way to know how to do this. Okay, so Old Testament history. This is what happened. You guys all know this part. In 722 BC, Assyria smashed the northern kingdom of Israel, right? Remember that Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Northern tribes were Israel. Southern tribes were Judah, right? Had two different kings after Solomon's. After Solomon died, it split. So northern kingdom, southern kingdom. In 722 BC, Assyria destroyed the northern kingdom. Took them off into exile, intermarried with some people in the Samaritan region. That's why I have Samaritans. And then the southern kingdom, they were taken into captivity in Babylon in 587. 587, 586. Interesting how you like to date things. Okay. Now, the southern kingdom came back in 516. They rebuilt Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the city walls. The northern tribes never came back. And the southern tribes never fully came back. They came back, but they were never restored to the glory they had when David was king, right? So they are always looking ahead and saying, we want to be restored to the kingdom of our father, David. Okay, remember that? You ever heard those words? The coming kingdom of our father, David. That's what we're hoping Messiah brings, right? We want Messiah to bring back the kingdom of David. Because we're like, what we got back to ain't as good as it was when David was king, right? We only got this little area around Jerusalem. When David was king, boy, did we have it all, right? So then we're always waiting for this. Well, what happens is, um, in the progression of history, Israel, the, the actual land of Israel, especially Jerusalem, the surrounding area, actually becomes um, fought over by different political systems. So you have Alexander the, he thinks he's pretty good, in 333 BC that takes over the entire world, right, for the, for the Greeks. Alexander, he thinks he's pretty good. So 333. Well, after he dies, everything's divided up between his sons, right? And his generals, actually his generals. And then after that come different different kingdoms, they different, and they take over Israel and do different things. And um, it gets so bad that if you are circumcised or you follow certain food laws or you follow the Sabbath, you're killed. Okay? You're actually killed because they're trying to get rid of Judaism. They're trying to get rid of the worship of the God of the Old Testament. This, this, this finally comes to a head in 167 BC, and this is the whole time period for which we get Hanukkah. Okay, Hanukkah is the whole wrapped into all this history. All right. Okay, well, blessings, Jeremy. We'll see. Um, so, so what happens then is, is the teaching starts being... Um, profligated in Israel that if we want to restore the kingdom of God to Israel, if we want to restore the Davidic kingdom, we have to do it by, by reading Torah, first of all, and then following the laws of the Old Testament, and specifically those laws that mark us as Jews, okay? And that was primarily circumcision, food laws, and Sabbath celebrations, 
Okay. So, so everybody knew you were a Jew. If you were circumcised, if you didn't eat certain foods and if you kept Sabbath now, because remember you're intermixed, we're no longer just Jews living in, in Israel. There's all kinds of, there's Greeks, there's Seleucids, there's Romans, eventually all kinds of people running around. So how do you know who you are? Well, these are your, your kind of your markers. Okay. And what happened was in the time of the new Testament, you actually see this where you see the Pharisees as being the ones who were the most adamant about observing this idea that if we keep Torah and we keep the law, then the kingdom of God will be restored. Okay. So they say, we got to do this. And so they, they interpret it like you were saying is the 10 commandments. They're saying, well, if we're going to keep Torah, then we got to keep the 10 commandments. So we're going to build laws around the 10 commandments. So we don't break the 10 commandments, right? So if you break these laws, you still don't break the 10 commandments. We talked about that. That's the same whole idea. That's, that's kind of what's going on in the works of the law is that they're saying, this is what marks us as God's people. Okay. So these works of the law, reading, to, oh, oh, by the way, so this is why you have synagogues then, right? This is why you have your synagogues, your synagogue, I don't want to spell it. But your synagogues are basically in order to, to preserve the reading of Torah because not everyone can get to temple, right? You can't all get to temple because we're all spread up, all kinds of stuff. So the Torah, this Torah can go anywhere in the world as long as there's a gathering of, of God's people, the synagogue. And, and when you do that, you read Torah and you keep these laws and that marks you as God's people. And so the teaching became, if we do that, then we are truly God's people and God will come back and the Messiah will restore to us God's kingdom. Okay. Now, having thought that through or having heard that, now listen to this. This dude shows up, claims to be the Messiah, but breaks Sabbath laws. Right? Uh-oh. Now you see why Jesus was persecuted by the Pharisees, because they're saying you can either be the Messiah, <laughs> but if you're the Messiah, you got to keep Sabbath. If you break Sabbath, you can't be Messiah, because in their mind, Messiah is the one that's going to keep Torah, keep all these laws, and restore the kingdom of David. And Jesus was messing that all up. And so this is why Paul was against Jesus when he was persecuting the church, you know, before Acts chapter 9. So what, what Paul is getting at here is that if you mark yourself as God's people by these things, by these works of the law, that's not actually, that's not actually how you get to God. That's not actually what relates you to God properly. As a matter of fact, you'll be in a curse because this equation of observing the Torah and keeping law, actually, there's no end to it. There, there's no, you can't actually do it. Okay. Does that make sense? So that's what, that's the best way to explain what the referent of works of the law really is. Um, now it expands and contracts a little bit in the different arguments, especially as he uses it in Romans chapter two, but that's, that's kind of a whole other spiel. Okay. Does that help a little bit maybe? Yeah, it seems like he could have helped us if he would have said works of the Jewish law. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Works of the Jewish law. Okay, that's a good way to say it. Unfortunately, Paul doesn't say that, so I, I didn't. But 
Yeah, that's, that's right. And that's part of the argument too, is what does he mean with that? Okay, so number four. So how, how absolute is God's law? Ironclad. Yes, it's ironclad. So what does he say? I'm sorry, I need to look at the English here. He says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay, so now all of a sudden, it's it's not just saying, well, I've done this one pretty good or I've kept that one mostly. No, you got to keep the whole law. You got to do all of it or you are cursed. It is it is 100 percent. Right. And this is this is kind of the point is that Paul is kind of getting everyone, his, his readers, both Jews and Gentiles to realize that if you start finding shelter, if you fall, start identifying yourself before God by keeping his law, you're going to end up cursed. Okay. And this is, this is not kind of new to us. This is kind of something we, we, we all know very well, but this is kind of where we get it from is that Paul is teaching now that as soon as you get in the law game, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. You, you don't, you don't get partial credit. It's all or nothing. And when you start playing that game, we're all in a curse. We're all cursed. Okay. So if you start saying, well, you know, I've kept the Ten Commandments pretty good. Well, that's not good enough. And then you even think of, um, you think of the, the parable of a good Samaritan. And, and you think, you know, this, the, the, the whole conversation was the guy thought, well, I've, I've kept all of God's commandments. I'm pretty good. I've done pretty good. Right. You think of the, of the rich young ruler where he's, you know, he said, I've kept all these commandments since, since my youth. And Jesus says, yeah, but you're still lacking one, one thing, right? Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the idea is that, that you're never going to, you're never going to get justified under the law because it will always condemn you. When we talked about this last week, right? The law always condemns us. Okay. So that's what Paul's getting at. So number five, then if, if the law ends us with a curse, then how do the righteous live? By faith. So here's, here's the tricky thing. Righteous is a word that sounds like keeping the law, right? So it sounds like the right answer would be the righteous then will live by keeping the whole law. But that's not how it works. Instead, according to your favorite book and mine, the book of Habakkuk, You got to know how to spell a back backhook. That's just one of them givens, right? You got three K's, two A's, an H, a B, and a U. You just got to know that, okay? And according to the book of Habakkuk, chapter two, verse four, the righteous live by faith. Okay, ironically, I can spell Habakkuk, but not faith. So he goes, so now it comes a linchpin. So cursed are you if you don't keep the entire law so if you want to be righteous live by faith see that's that's the twist you would think he would say so if you want to be righteous keep the whole law but he doesn't 
He says, instead, live by faith. You know, okay. Kevin, it's it's kind of interesting in verse 11, you know, and, and Paul definitely put the emphasis on, you know, switching over the righteousness by faith. But if you take, you know, if you get rid of the verse 11 marker and you read verse 10 and 11, you can kind of see that you could also read it as now it's evident that nobody can keep has kept all the things in the law. It's evident as you were saying, oh, I've been pretty good or I've, I've done everything. You know, it's like, well, come on, you know, right. It's evident you haven't. Right. It's evident you haven't. And whether what else is evidence of what's going to come very is what's going to come next, which is a little surprising. Okay. So that that's very good. That's right. So that's a fun way to read it. Like I've told you before, read it without the verse markers and see how it goes. That's exactly right. You start connecting those things. Good. Very good. Any other thoughts or questions before we get to the next point, which is kind of the major point? I told you some of this is gonna be a little rough. So I hope you're hope you're holding hands and getting through it together. We'll be all right. Be okay. Okay, number six. Which one is Jesus? You mean between faith and works of the law? Or between cursed cursed and uh, and, and living. Which How about both? <laughs> yeah, you don't say both in this one. We can't be Lutheran yet. We can't give the Lutheran yes answer to this one yet. But according to his argument, which one is Jesus? He's cursed because he hung on the tree. He's cursed. So this is the whole point of Paul's entire rhetorical argument here. He's going to bring us along to, we want to be blessed with Abraham. We want to live in faith with Abraham. Curses everyone who hangs on a tree or curses everyone who doesn't keep every word of the law. The righteous will live by faith. So now we got Abraham and faith and living and children of Abraham. They got this thing hanging out over here. It's cursed and, ugh, and ugh, keeping them, can't keep the law and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess where Jesus falls? He's in the curse category. So Jesus actually becomes cursed. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. Okay. So this is the big move now is that Jesus is not actually found in the category of faith and life. Instead, he's found in the cursed category category for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree therefore jesus became a curse right so for this us. is what's that for us good so then remember luther's luther's big insight is the gospel is in these words for you right? So in this case, it's for us. See, Jesus became a curse for us. So Jesus, who is life itself, who is righteous in and of himself, is the promise given to Abraham. He becomes a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. But in so doing, so number seven, what is a vicarious atonement? In so doing, 
he takes on the curse for us and gives to us righteousness by faith. Okay. So that's the, the great exchange. So that's the great, the great exchange. exchange. Yeah. That's the great exchange. Jesus takes into himself the curse that we have earned by our sin, and he gives to us his righteousness, not because we've earned it, but simply as a gift received by faith. Okay, so this is Paul's great rhetorical argument, is that the, the law puts us in a position of being cursed before God. Okay, so the Jews say, well, we have the law. And Paul says, that's not a good thing. That just puts you in a position of being cursed before God. Right? So are you any better off than the Gentiles? And then they say, well, then how do you live? You live the righteous live by faith. And the reason that faith gives you life is because Jesus himself became cursed for us so that in him we might become the righteous of God by faith. So the righteousness you get by faith is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, And those who live in faith in Jesus and his righteousness, they are truly the children of Abraham. Because this is the faith of Abraham. This is the blessings of Abraham for all nations. Is that the one who died for all is the one who became a curse for all. So that his righteousness is now a gift for all by faith. And his life is now the life for all by faith. So if you walk up and you say, well, I'm a Jew. How do I qualify for all this? The answer is by faith in Christ. If you say, well, I'm a Gentile. How do I qualify for all this? The answer is by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you guys see that? So this is why this section of Galatians is such an important part of Paul's writing to actually understand all of Paul's theology is that this is really the heart of it. Okay. So then number eight, which we I keep going over the next question by accident, but that's okay. We'll do it anyway. Number eight. So who receives the benefit of Christ's work? All that faith. All that have faith. So look what he does here in verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham. So we're going to go back to these ideas. The blessing of Abraham to all nations might come to the Gentiles. That's the nations. Okay, but don't, don't miss what he does here. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, don't forget who we is. Go back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. Galatians 2, 15. Okay, where Paul says, we are... 
Jews. So now in verse 14, he's literally saying, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that even the Jews might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the argument has gone from, are the Gentiles included in Jesus, even though they don't keep the law like the Jews keep the law? He's changed it now. He said, nobody is attached to God because of the law. The Gentiles are attached by faith, just like Abraham was, and so are the Jews. So what is he doing? What is he actually doing to humanity in this argument? Theologically, you know what he's doing as far as justification by, by grace through faith before God in Christ Jesus. But what is he doing to humanity in all of this? He's saying we're all in the same playing field. Exactly. That's exactly right. This is the leveling of the playing field. This is where you love your neighbor as yourself because you're in the exact same situation. Right? They're a sinner. You're a sinner. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for them. You do not have the right to stand above anyone. Right? What? Who, who occupies the position of being above someone? Jesus. God, right? In Christ, right? And so what did Jesus do as the one who is above? What did he do? God, First below. I'm going to treat. He became below. He became the servant of all. As a matter of fact, the one who was righteous became a curse so that we could receive the righteousness of God. And so what this does is this actually teaches us what real love is. Real love is the death and resurrection of Christ for sinners, the sacrificial death of Christ for sinners, and then we learn to love in the same way. Okay, and this then is going to be how Paul's going to work us through the rest of Galatians is that we are going to, we're, well, he's going to keep teasing this theme out, but eventually in the book of Galatians, he's going to, he's going to talk about how this, this love of God in Christ Jesus actually changes the way we live. We live differently now. See, so this gets to the earlier question about works of the law, um, is that we're now going to live not, not trying to fulfill works of the law, but we're going to live in the freedom to love, the freedom from the law, so that we can live according to the will of God, which is to love. Okay? I know that's a lot. Any, any questions so far? Kevin? Yeah. Is it, um, I don't know if proper is the right word, but, you know, when you talked about Jesus, who was, you know, never broke the law, but yet he became a curse. So our guilt was transferred on him. And then... His righteousness is, you know, we're declared righteous through him so that his righteousness in a sense is transferred us through that declaration. Do you see those as kind of parallel? I'm not, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but it seemed like they're kind of related. You know, he got, he became yeah. a curse and we were declared righteous. Yeah. So, so look at um, 2 Corinthians 
5.21 is usually the voice, the verse that you kind of run to for that, that equation there. Um, so 2 Corinthians, so we're in Galatians. It's literally the book right before Galatians. So just go back one book. So 2 Corinthians is right before Galatians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Um, this is kind of where you, you get this kind of teased out in, in a different way that Paul talks about it. And again, there's a lot in this, but we'll just we'll just read it as it stands. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's kind of where these these concepts kind of work work. Does that make sense what I'm saying, or am I missing your point? No, no, that's that's this idea of transferring, it seems like it's a really big deal, you know? Um, yeah. So, and, and remember the transfer and I'm doing this off the top of my head now. So um, it's in Colossians, right? The transfer. Where is that? The transfer language. Yeah, there's two places where he says it. Yeah, it's in chapter two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the yeah, verse 13. So Colossians 1.13, that's the transfer language. I was, I was, yeah. So Colossians chapter one, verse 13. Um, if you, if you back up, it's kind of a fun passage. Um, well, yeah, so Colossians 1, 12 and 13 says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints, good inheritance, son language. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's where Paul makes explicit this transfer notion, right? Does that make sense? So, so there in Colossians 1, um, 13, that actually uses the word transfer. And, that, and that's a good translation. Um, the, the idea that we've been kind of transferred from this to that, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of, of Christ. Yep. Okay. And Scott, I, I know that's the passage you were thinking of. I know it was. I could tell. I could see it in your head. Okay. Any other questions on that? Very good. Uh, not a question on that. Um, uh, back on the northern and southern kingdom, where was uh, Jerusalem? Okay, good. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom. So, okay. The northern kingdom's capital was Samaria. Okay. And they were also known as Ephraim, which was the largest tribe in the northern kingdom, whereas the southern tribe was often known as Judah. Okay, so northern tribe Israel, southern tribe Judah, northern tribe also known as Ephraim, northern tribe um, capital city Samaria, southern tribe capital Jerusalem, northern tribe had a shrine at Bethel and Shiloh, which is kind of interesting there, southern kingdom worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. 
Okay, so these are kind of the competing thing that's going on here. They're supposed to be in one, one kingdom, but after Solomon, it got split. Okay, and this is part of the sad history that you read then in the books of Kings. And then this is really what the prophets are addressing. So most of the prophets, uh, remember the four major prophets you have, and our Bible is a little hard to do this in, but in reality, in the Hebrew Bible, you have four major prophets. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets are one book. Okay, those, those are the major prophets. So I know minor prophets or major prophets is weird, but that's the way it goes. And those books really talk about um, the reason for the fall or the reason for the exiles, and then also the promised return from exile and what God's doing and all of that. That's really the point of the prophets. Okay. And the narrative for this is going to be in the book of Kings. And then Ezra and Nehemiah is about the return from exile. So that's kind of how it works. Malachi is after the exile. Those, so those books, Haggai is also after the exile, but it's all about the exile. Okay. All right. We have five minutes. So let's let's at least read this. I just want to show you this and then we can we can close for the night. But let's read Galatians chapter three, verses fifteen through twenty. Galatians three, fifteen through twenty. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annual a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Yeah, isn't that fun? That, that's some good stuff right there, right? Who knows what's going on? That's just, that's some interesting stuff. We will get there next week. But let's look at the first question. How important are the words of scripture to Paul? I just want you to see this. Look at what he does, especially in verse 16. Now the promises made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Okay, so, so this is something that's important for us is that, you know, we are digging into scripture on these, on these Tuesday nights, and, and we are spending a lot of time going over specific verses and, and arguments and patterns. But, but here's the point, the, the, gospel, the, the gospel written down in Holy Scripture, the scriptures themselves are given to us just to study and to read. And, and when we look at the way that the, the apostles treated the Old Testament, even the inspired scripture of the Old Testament, Paul was looking at individual letters and believing that God had revealed specific words for specific reasons. 
Okay, so he's actually finding evidence of the promise to Abraham being completed in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the grammar that is used in the promise to Abraham. And this is this is kind of what we believe about scripture is that it actually is the word of God. And it's something that we do want to study and pay attention to. And, you know, these these things are written for a purpose. And as Paul exemplifies for us here, what we find when we study them is we're always learning more and more about God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And this is really the focus of what we're doing is, is the study of scripture is really to learn about God's love in Christ. That's the goal is, is to grow more and more in our understanding of God's love in Christ and how that reality of his love shapes our entire existence. And it really does. So just wanted to kind of show you how that actually is played out in the, the text of the New Testament itself and encourage you to continue to read this word, read it daily I mean, pick it up daily and read it. It's, it's just, you'll never exhaust this text. You'll never exhaust the words of God. Um, they are life and light in, in themselves as they point us to Christ. So our time is basically up. Any, any questions before we go? Is there a reason in verse 17 why it's so specific about which came 430 years afterward? 430 years is the New Testament time of the exile, or I'm sorry, of the slavery in Egypt. So he's basically saying Abraham and then 430 years you get to Moses. That's basically what he means. The same 430 years is used by Stephen in Acts. Um, this is kind of the rough amount of time of, of the time that they were in in slavery in Egypt, or basically between what he's saying is the end of the patriarchs, which is Jacob and his sons, and then the Exodus, which is 430 years later in Moses when the law was given on Sinai. So he's just, that's just kind of shorthand for that time where they're in slavery in Egypt. That's what 430 means, just the way they talk about it. Um, obviously, I could point you to scholars who have written papers on what 430 means because that's what they do. But it really just seems to be how many years they thought they were in captivity in Egypt. Any other questions? Okay, we pray. We rejoice, O Heavenly Father, that you call us to be your children through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if we stand before you in our works, we will receive the curse of your law. But we come before you in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and in him we beg your mercy, knowing that you are God who rejoices to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life. And so we pray that you would give us your spirit that we might live our lives in faith, trusting in our Savior Jesus and learning to love even as you have learned, as you have loved us. So bless us this night, keep us in the one true faith and grant us a quiet rest in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. If you have any questions, I can stick around for a bit. Amen. Thanks, Thank you. Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome.
Why are you trying to scare us by going on two pages of the questions? I know. I was a little scared myself. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. That's unheard of. I tell you. I wasn't sure it was on the back. Congratulations. Good evening. See ya. Kevin? Yep. Is the heart of God, G 